We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here. Uh, glad to be joined by James Anderson for uh, another one of our concept pods. And I, I pitched you this idea earlier in the week, James. We want to dive into the 10 best draft picks of the last five years. So we, we are counting the 2020 NBA draft. So this encompasses the 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, uh, and 2020 drafts. As usual, when we do something like this, we, we have a pretty loose criteria uh, for what defines the best draft pick. Um, you know, you could just say Zion Williamson because he maybe is one of the best players to be drafted during that span. But uh, I, I think speaking personally, I was looking more for, you know, degree of difficulty of the pick. Uh, was there someone else that was supposed to go there and this team kind of went out on a, on a limb and took this player? Obviously, the value that you got from that player relative to his pick slot um, and then I also really considered like what that player's peak talent level is either right now or what it projects to be. So I, I didn't give as much weight to someone like, say, Monte Morris, who went 51st um, in whatever year he was drafted, 2017. Great pick. It's in my honorable mention section, but it didn't make my top 10 just because at the end of the day, you're getting a lot of value from Monte Morris. But you got kind of a backup point guard instead of like a full time starter or borderline star. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I didn't have anyone crack my top 10 uh, that would not be a starter for the vast majority of teams. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I sort of factored in was just like the degree of difficulty of the pick. Like, you know, I, like, for instance, I, spoiler alert, uh, Jamal Murray did not crack my top 10 number seven overall pick in 2016 mm-hmm. because he kind of fell into the nuggets lap. Yeah. Um, and then like the picks where there was no consensus or, you know, a lot of teams, you know, 
consciously opted to pass on a guy, that type of thing, I, I kind of rewarded those more. And if it was a guy that like just slid way too far and people were kind of saying that at the time, I didn't necessarily reward the team for, for being the, the team to jump in there and take the guy. Okay, that's great to hear. We are on the exact same page with that. I factored that in as well. Uh, didn't really give credit to teams um, where, where, like you said, a player fell into their lap. So Murray fits that category perfectly. On my initial list, I had Tyrese Halliburton, and I, I think that's kind of the ultimate fell into their yeah. lap. Like this, this, it's, I almost thought it would have been more interesting to do the 10 worst draft picks because there's there's so much more fodder there when you look at guys like Halliburton and you're like, okay, you're really going to pass on this guy. And obviously credit to the Kings, credit to the Nuggets for taking those players, but it didn't really feel like you had to go on, out on a limb at all to make those picks. Yeah, exactly. Like an, another one of those to me was like DeJounte Murray, uh, number 29 and in, in 2016, uh, I know not everyone was as high on him as I was, but I, I thought he was a top 10 player in that draft. I know like Chad Ford had him as a lottery pick in that draft. So just because a bunch of teams screwed up by not taking him and the Spurs got him at 29, I, I didn't necessarily uh, reward them. It's more kind of just a bad look on all the teams that passed on that play. Yeah, exactly. And that goes back to, and maybe we'll do this someday of the, the worst draft picks. Like it's, it's more egregious to pass on the guy than it, than it is a reward, I guess, to pull the trigger on him. Do you want to start at the top and go down or count up from number 10? Uh, let's start at the top and go down. Okay. Well, give me your number one best draft pick of the last five years. Uh, I'm going to go with Pascal Siakam, uh, the number 27 pick in 2016. This was a pick where, you know, I mean, he was uh, – someone that was scrimmaging at the combine. So obviously not a guy that a lot of teams had as like a top 20 prospect in the draft. Otherwise, you know, he wouldn't have fallen to 27, but he also uh, was clearly at the combine to try to play his way into the first round. And obviously Masai Ujiri knew more about Pascal Siakam uh, and had been scouting him longer than, than any other GM at the time. So that probably made it easier for him to, to go out on a limb and take him in the first round. But uh, that wasn't a pick where everyone was like, Oh, what a, what a steal by the Raptors on draft day. I mean, it, it, it really became a, a pretty big surprise that he developed even into the player that he was in 2017, 2018, let alone the, the guy that made a all of the team last year. Yeah. And this is a great place to start because I, I think Siakam is kind of the perfect type of player that you're looking for here, right? Where it's, it's a team that did its homework and just kind of beat other teams to the punch on a guy that turned out to be really, really good. And nobody's saying like, man, I can't believe Pascal Siakam fell all the way to 27. Like he fell into the Raptors hands there. Like Siakam could have gone 20th. He could have gone 45th in that draft. And I, I don't think anybody's opinion would have changed. And and for Toronto to go out on a limb and take him at a time when, I mean, they obviously he ended up being a key piece for a title team in 2019, but I mean, they were a good team in 2016. And, you know, at that time, you're looking for contributing players. When you're drafting 27th, you're looking for somebody that can help your team get to the next level the next season. And and they were willing to, I think, sacrifice, you know, kind of one year of development for Siakam. And then he really hit the ground running in the second year. Yeah, exactly. The, the fact that he contributed to to winning a title is also, yep. also huge for him. Yeah, I have Siakam on my list, uh, a little bit lower down. list. I, I did not go with a, a player who was as much of a you know value for the pick slot uh, as Siakam was uh, going as late as he did. Uh, I have Diamond Stone, the 40th overall <laughs> pick in 2016. <laughs> I can't even complete the sentence. Uh, no, I went Jason Tatum. And I know Tatum was the number three overall pick. Siakam was, what, 27th? Um, so again, you're not getting quite as much pure value there. But I think the degree of difficulty that went into this one uh, the degree of like trickery in some ways, I feel like that that Boston pulled on Philadelphia. Uh, the Celtics saw something that they did not like in Markel Fultz and and obviously traded out of that one spot, picked up an extra first round pick in the process and still got the best player uh, that went high in that draft. So um, kind of a, a cojones factor, I guess, for Boston to to make a move like that, to you know have these these picks coming from Brooklyn for one of them to finally pay off and, and land that high. And then to trade down, which was certainly controversial at the time, um, but I, I think it's paid dividends. And obviously what's happened with Markel Fultz, I, I think, has kind of amplified just how how ballsy and, and how you know productive of a move it was. 
Um, but but to me, I, I give Boston a lot of credit for doing the diligence and doing the research and, and kind of settling on their guy. And, and they said they would have taken, taken Tatum number one. Who knows if that's true? Um, but to make that move, still get the guy, get the most productive player. I, I give them a lot of credit there. So Tatum is number one on my list. Yeah, Tatum's actually number two on my list. So we're we're definitely in agreement on that one. Uh, I mean, I, I always love it when a general manager is willing to kind of just get their guy and mm-hmm. not really conform to, like, you, you almost, I mean, how often do you see a team with the number one pick trade trade out of it, you know? And that, that alone takes, like you said, a, a ton of cojones. But, um, you know, to get a guy as good as Tatum, I mean, it just, it was a really, it was a, it was a heck of a move by Danny Ainge. And even if Markel Fultz hadn't dealt with the injuries he's dealt with and the the weird shooting thing, like, I still think it's pretty clear in my mind that, Tatum would have been the better prospect. Uh, and, you know, obviously they knew the Lakers were taking Lonzo Ball, which obviously in hindsight was a bit of a mistake. So um, whenever a team does something where there's just zero kind of public consensus on the the clarity at the top of the draft and they nail it. And in fact, I think, you know, a lot of smart analysts were praising Philly for that trade at the time, like going up and getting the the clear top guy in Markel Fultz. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it, yeah, I thought that was a brilliant move. Right, that's a big part of it. Is it was it was viewed as almost like a home run for both teams. It's like Boston is is getting paid to move down. They're getting that future first. They like their guy in Tatum. We knew Ball was going to to the Lakers, and Fultz was talked about as just such a lock. Like it was he was the final piece. You know, the the one position that Philly really hadn't filled yet. He was so versatile. He could shoot it. He could drive. Like it was, it was such a perfect fit. And I, I'm giving some credit to Boston. I don't, I don't know if this is actually true, but I, I would like to think that they found something in Fultz, whether it was in interviews or in workouts or testing, whatever it was that, that tipped them off, that something was amiss. And they were the team that figured it out and it wasn't Philly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So who's number two on your list? Well, Tatum was two on my list. Oh, right. Sorry. Um, um, so who, three who's number two on your list? Oh, I you have Luka do? Doncic. I, let's go okay. two on mine. Sorry. I, I have Luka Doncic number two. Similar concept, I guess, to Tatum, where there wasn't a consensus, I, I think, among smart draft people. there, there A consensus had emerged, uh, but you had to factor in the two teams that were picking one and two. It, w- it was almost kind of similar to the Lakers in 2017, where like the Lakers were just like had their blinders on. It was Lonzo Ball, no matter what. And it feels like Phoenix and Sacramento just never really considered Doncic. Um, but Dallas ends up with him. Dallas did not have the third pick. Atlanta had the third pick. So I'm giving Dallas a lot of credit for swinging that trade. Um, you know, it hasn't been a complete disaster for Atlanta. It wasn't as much of a fleecing as the difference between Tatum and Markel Fultz is. You know, Doncic to Young. There's a drop-off, but it's not as massive. Um, but Dallas making that move, having the conviction to get Doncic, and, and most importantly, I think being the only of the top five teams picking that really was a hundred percent convinced that Doncic could be this good because obviously Phoenix wasn't obviously Sacramento wasn't Memphis didn't make the trade up. They were happy to grab Jackson at four. Uh, I mean, Dallas had to make it happen to go get Luka Doncic. So I'm giving them credit there. Yeah. I ranked that one eight uh, because to me, it was kind of one of those Doncic was the clear best player in the draft pre-draft. So like if they had just been picking three, I wouldn't have even ranked it because they would have just, it was kind of like the, the Hornets taking LaMelo Ball this year, but I'm ranking it based solely on the fact that they traded up to get him, um, because that that does take some, like sure. you have to be pretty confident in your evaluation to do the trade-up. Like it's, yep. it's really easy to just be sitting there at three and take the guy that most smart people thought was the best player in the draft. Right. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm ranking it because they did actually trade up because they were that right. confident. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was similar to kind of LaMelo this year. It was just kind of, I mean, actually, Dodgers was probably even more obvious um, at the time than LaMelo was this year, but it it did kind of break perfectly for them to allow this to happen. Yeah, and, and I know, I mean, it's easy to say now, especially that Doncic was the best player. And, and like you said, the smart people, I think, knew that. But I, I wouldn't quite say it was a consensus. So I, I think Dallas deserves a little credit there, too, because it, it wasn't, 
it wasn't that clear. And I mean, the fact that he went third, I, I think bears that out. I think there was at least consensus that he was a top three guy in the draft. I mean, I, I don't like, I don't, I didn't hear anyone saying they would take like Trey Young over Dodgic, um or the Atlanta Hawks. Maybe there, there might have been people that had like eight and Jackson Doncic or something, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Hawks, the Hawks. I mean, yeah, the uh, Hawks, sure. the Hawks just did it. Um, but I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it, it, there was a little bit of, I mean, there was some people that thought Aiton was fine pick at number one, but I don't think there was anyone that thought Doncic wasn't uh, a no-brainer move at, at three, like just in terms of sure. public pu- public people. Okay, yeah, maybe they would get more credit if they had traded up to one to take him, but still, he's on both of our lists. Um, all right, so you're number three then. Uh, I'm going with Jalen Brown, the number three pick in 2016. Because there were mock drafts that had him going to like eight in that draft. Um, I mean, there was just, I mean, you remember like after the top two, uh, that was the Simmons Ingram year, right? I mean, after, after the top two, it was just completely the wild west in terms of who was, who was going to go number three. And so to narrow it down from, like five, six, seven guys that most teams would have been considering there. And to take the guy, the the absolute correct guy there, again, I mean, I just think the the degree of difficulty was, was up there. And the, I mean, Brown's actually even turned out probably about as good as even Danny Ainge could have hoped. Yeah, absolutely. I have Brown number four on my list. So we're, we're in agreement there. I, I moved him up and down a couple of times. He was, I penciled him in at number one right away uh, and then had to do some, some tweaking, but yeah, I, I think the degree of difficulty on this one is, uh, you know, as high as any pick that we're probably going to go through. Right. I mean, because even when you talk about Siakam, you know, who's number one on your list, the stakes aren't as high when you're picking 27 as they are when you're picking three. And this draft had a consensus one and two in that order, Simmons and Ingram, not a lot of I don't give a lot of credit to Philly for taking Simmons. Don't give a lot of credit no. to the Lakers for taking Ingram. Those were the obvious picks. But like you said, it would not have been crazy if Chris Dunn went three or Jamal Murray went three or, you know, I'm trying to look a little further down. I mean, like you said, wild, wild west. It, it's really not a great draft. Uh, once no. you get beyond that top tier, there's a couple standouts later on. But that was, I think, the most wide open draft other than the honest draft uh, a couple years earlier. Yeah, I mean, they could have completely botched that pick they could have gotten a guy that like wouldn't have really done anything for them and wouldn't have better yeah i mean the, he went next yeah it's possible the, yeah exactly the the there was huge blow-up potential there and yep. they not only avoided it by getting a good player but they ended up getting an all-star yep yep well said so we're four for four so far all four of your guys um siakam tatum brown Doncic. Uh, i have all those on my list as well uh, so we'll go back to my number three, and I, I would imagine he's on your list, but we will see. Uh, the number 11 overall pick in 2018, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Yeah, he's fifth on my list. Okay. And uh, he was a guy that, I mean, I liked him. Um, I, th- I mean, I think he kind of played his way into late lottery consideration on mock drafts and stuff like that. So it wasn't a stretch, but again, it's one of those where you kind of look at the players that got selected in that area. Uh, you know, they avoided some, some landmines and, um, you know, I, I kind of, in, in some cases, like in the case of like Demontis Sabonis and, you know, I almost kind of want to ding some of the teams that, that drafted the player and then like traded them, um, shortly thereafter because it's like you or or actually a better example McCall Bridges like I didn't rank McCall Bridges just because yeah you you drafted him there but then you just traded him right away so I mean you couldn't have been that confident that you nailed that pick um but I still think you know they they get Paul George because of this pick and um you know I think if you redo that draft over again Shea is probably a top three pick so I think maybe we differed a little bit in our process because I, I basically credited the pick to the team that ended up with the player that rookie year. You know, so I'm, I'm basically I'm giving the Clippers credit for making that trade to get SGA 
from the Hornets. You know, kind of the same with Luka. I'm not, I'm not crediting the Hawks necessarily for taking him three. I'm crediting the Mavericks for swinging that trade to get him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think that there's – we're mostly in kind of agreement here. It is yeah. it is sort of up for interpretation, but, um, I mean, it, it. whoever was making the pick, like, I mean, it, it was – it was a really good pick. At, I mean, five shade. Just there were a lot of people that didn't even buy him as a as a starter, let alone you know primary ball handler. And I also factored in the return in the trade. I mean, they gave up almost nothing to get him, right? I mean, they gave up the pick that became Miles Bridges and two second round picks to get Shea Gilgis Alexander, which obviously you know immediately paid dividends for that Clippers team. And then, like you said, if you want to extrapolate even further, you know that's the reason that Paul George is on the roster right now. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by Gamer Saloon. Gamer Saloon is a video game tournament platform where you can play video games for real cash prizes. All major consoles and PCs are supported. Our most popular titles are NBA 2K, Madden, FIFA, NHL, and Call of Duty. Gamer Saloon launched in 2006 and since then has awarded more than $75 million in prizes. Players could play in multiplayer tournaments or simply play 1v1 games from your couch for real cash prizes. Withdrawals are fast and easy, and they're directly deposited right into your PayPal account. Join a free match on us today by going to gamersaloon.com slash rotowire. That's gamersaloon.com slash rotowire, and simply pick your game of choice. All you have to do is win one match, and Gamer Saloon will give you $10. Again, gamersaloon.com slash rotowire. Win that match. Go get those free $10. My number four was Bam Adebayo. Uh, number 14 overall pick in 2017. Uh, I don't think, you know, this wasn't a pick where anyone really had any takes about it. It was just kind of like, oh, yeah, he's, he's going to be like an okay big. Like, he'll <laughs> kind of decent starter, you know, maybe a good guy off the bench. Um, I don't think anyone thought it was a bust. I don't think anyone thought it was a home run. And Miami obviously saw something there that I don't think anyone really saw. And uh, there's, there's definitely multiple Kentucky guys on my list. Uh, It's (laughs) you're it's, it's a pretty good recipe for success. If you just assume that a player is going to be better than they were at Kentucky. But um, I mean, that was just such a, a genius pick and a good fit with the the player and the organization. And I just think it was one where like, nobody was like, Oh man, I can't believe Bam's still on the board at 14. Um, they just went and got their guy. That's fair. This is the first one that, that I do not have on my list, but I do have Adebayo as my first guy out. And then he was on some of the initial lists ended up getting cut. And I, I think you kind of laid it out where you said it was kind of a, a ho-hum pick at the time, you know, it was nobody really knew all that much about Adebayo. Like, like many Kentucky big men, he had kind of been, I wouldn't say out of position, but was just used strangely, you know, like, like a lot of guys really at the college level in general, it's just such a different game. I don't think anybody foresaw how versatile he could be. And, and obviously he hit the ground running and has turned into one of the best players in that class. But to me, it was, it was just like at that point in the draft, you know, Donovan Mitchell had gone the pick before, uh, Malik Monk, another Kentucky guy, was off the board. Beyond Adebayo, like it, to me, there wasn't like another guy that everyone said they should have taken there. You know, like the next couple picks are Justin Jackson, Justin Patton, DJ Wilson, TJ Leaf, uh, maybe John Collins, who went 19. Um, but to me, like the degree of difficulty for that one wasn't quite high enough. But but obviously, in terms of like value for where you pick the player, uh, sky high. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think you're you're definitely right about that. Like it it wasn't a you know there weren't super obvious options mm-hmm. that that other teams might have gone with. But at the same time, like I just think everyone other than the Heat thought that he was going to be kind of like a rim runner. Like I think I don't think yeah. many people saw a big difference between him and like John Collins really as as prospects. And I think if I think if anything, people like Collins more. Yeah, and Bam ends up being like defensive, defensively really. I mean, obviously he's turned into a really nice uh, hub of of an offense in the half court as well. But I mean, right. the the defensive um, prowess that he 
I mean, I, I don't think anyone saw that coming other than maybe the Heat. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it, if I'm not giving them enough credit for the pick, they definitely deserve credit for envisioning what he could be and, and developing, developing, I should say, him into that. Uh, my number five, I have Donovan Mitchell. Is he on your list at all? No. Um, okay. I'll let you get, make your case first. Sure. So number 13 pick in 2017, like I just said, he was one pick ahead of Bam Adebayo. This is yet another one where it, technically he was drafted by Denver. So um, I'm giving credit to Utah for for making that deal. And the SGA trade was a robbery for the Clippers. I think this is an even bigger robbery. And this, this was a trade that sent Tyler Lydon, uh, former Syracuse forward, who I, I believe I once wrote that I was pretty high on. Not, not sure if he ever even played in an NBA game. And Trey Lyles went back to, to Denver in that trade. So you're basically getting a franchise cornerstone, a guy who could you know, essentially become the Damian Lillard you know, of Utah. And, and it's pretty easy to envision him kind of being that type of figure for almost nothing. And it, it, to me, it felt like they, I wouldn't say they went out on a limb. Like it was great value. I mean, there were people, I think, that, that projected Mitchell a little higher than 13. Um, so in some ways he did kind of fall into their laps. But I mean, this is one where you look at the two guys who went ahead of him, Malik Monk, and, you know, he's played a little bit better lately, but he's not Donovan Mitchell. And then Luke Kennard, who's been picking up DNP CDs for the Clippers. Um, I mean, for for Utah to, you know, it'd be one thing if they were in that slot and just made that pick, but to trade up and get Donovan Mitchell and then for him to instantly become what he was, uh, I, I think that that deserves recognition. Yeah, I probably didn't give them enough credit for trading up. Um I was more so just sort of thinking of it as kind of like a lower end version of the Doncic thing where, you know, you hear all these stories about how like the Hornets almost took him and, you know, this team almost took him. Like he, he was one of those guys where he did kind of fall a little bit and yeah, uh, they definitely get credit for going up to get him. But I mean, he was the fact that he was available there. I feel like I I blame the teams ahead of them more than I almost more than I do for for passing on him. Yeah, I think that's fair. And this this goes back to what we talked about at the top, where if you're doing if you're doing worst picks of all time, especially based on who goes directly behind you, uh, Charlotte and Detroit and even Sacramento or Portland, I guess, taking Zach Collins at 10. Um, and you can count all the way up, I guess, to, to Nilakina and Dennis Smith. But for that run of of guys who are pretty much bona fide busts at this point, uh, we could debate on Kennard, I guess, but to have Mitchell and Adebayo go back to back at 13 and 14 is pretty damning. Where should we go now? I think we are up to your number six. Yep. Uh, so my number six is Karis LeVert at number 20 in 2016. Uh, just, you know, again, he was kind of, you look at the guys drafted right in front of him, right behind him. Uh, he's just turned out way better and it took some uh some courage just in in the terms of his medicals at that point i mean there was a lot of risk there uh but he i mean i think karis levert has reached his absolute ceiling as as an nba player and i don't know if they necessarily envisioned that when they took him at 20 but um I think it was just a really good read of the the talent on the board at that time and determining that he had the highest upside available. Yeah, I, I have Levert in my honorable mention. Um, no issue at all with including him here. And and this is the this is the same draft as Jalen Brown. So, you know, once once we once you get beyond that top two really in this draft, you know, you could order these guys in, in just about any order, and and nobody would have complained all that much. I mean, you look at some of the names that went ahead of him. Uh, I mean, Wade Baldwin, Gershon, Yabisele, uh, Denzel Valentine, Papianis. I mean, there were some huge, huge misses in this draft. Um, and, and obviously if you redo it, Levert probably goes top five or six, but uh, the medicals were a huge red flag. So, you know, being able to, to take the, take the risk on, on a guy who, you know, had horrific medicals and had, had been injured, I think two separate times with pretty serious foot injuries in college um, and this is one, too, where he was technically drafted by the Pacers uh, and Brooklyn swooped in and traded Thaddeus Young in a second round pick to get Karis LeVert. And that's now part of the reason, as you extrapolate out, that James Harden is on the Brooklyn Nets and they're probably the favorite to go to the finals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
just really, really good talent evaluation there. Mm-hmm. So I had Siakam uh, at six on my list. We already talked about him. So we'll go back to you for your number seven. Uh, another Kentucky player, uh, Tyler Hero, number 13 in 2019. Um, I mean, I think looking back, this kind of resembles uh, Tyrese Halliburton going 12 in this most recent draft because of the fact that this guy that went 12 or 13 is now sort of seen as the third best guy after the, after the top two. But Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't one of those things where on draft night, it was like, how is Tyler hero falling this far? Um, It's just, you know, it was just kind of like, well, he's going to be a, he's going to be a three point shooter for them. Um, I don't think anyone thought they were getting the guy that like six months later would be viewed as the third best prospect from that draft. No, not at all. This is another guy who I had in my honorable mentions. Uh, and, and you kind of laid it out too, where, it, you know, to me, it wasn't quite enough of a stab. You know, it was a, well, we're probably deciding between Tyler Hero, Romeo Langford, uh, maybe Alexander Walker. You know, like to, to me, it was, it was a, it wasn't an obvious choice by any means. Um, and I, I don't think it was quite as, as much of like a notable slide as Halliburton, just because, I mean, Hero, with Halliburton, like everything that you heard coming into the draft was positive, right? It's like this guy checks all the boxes, you know, he, he interviews well, he's worked out well. With Hero, I, I feel like there was quite a bit of unknown. So for me, it's not as much of a, you went out on a limb for this guy, but it's it's more of a, like the Heat really did their homework. And I think they knew that he had more to him where I think the general consensus around him was like, oh, maybe he can be Kyle Korver. And it, it was like pretty clear right away that that's not the archetype that this guy is. Yeah, I guess it's it's tough with both the hero pick and the BAM pick because you, we don't know. Like, I'm kind of ascribing on the heat, sort of envisioning this player with mm-hmm. both those guys that none of us really envisioned. But I guess I don't know that to be true. Like, it could have right. been that they just thought they were getting the next Kyle Corver and then they got lucky. And same <laughs> thing maybe with BAM. Like, maybe they just thought they were getting a, a rim runner athlete uh yeah. bam and they ended up getting lucky i mean i i don't know which one's true but i i right. sort of considering that it happened twice in the span of a couple of years with the same organization um i'm kind of going to give them the benefit of the doubt there and sort of assume sure. that they they did see kind of another level in both those players than what they showed at school so my number seven uh, i have malcolm brogdon number 36 overall pick of the milwaukee bucks in 2016 uh, I believe this is our first second round pick, right? Mm-hmm. And he's the only second rounder I have. Like we said at the top, I, you know, most of the second rounders who turn out um, were, were a little, I think we're one year late for the Jokic draft, right? Obviously that would have been uh, probably the easy number one, but most of the second rounders who turn, who turn out are, you know, your Monte Morris types, guys who are, you know, maybe, the, maybe they'll start when somebody's hurt, but you know, they're not an every night starter. I think Brogdon bucks that trend. He, was good right away. He was a really a key piece for some great Milwaukee teams, and he's been he's been good in Indiana. Um, you know, some injuries have, have kind of always clouded or hung over him, but uh, I, I think it's an interesting case with Brogdon because everybody expected him to be good, but at the same time, it wasn't weird that he dropped to 36. You know, like nobody was shocked when Malcolm Brogdon became good, but like especially in this draft. I mean, this is this is again the Jalen Brown draft where it was just you know. Uh, a bit of a mess, we should say, outside of the top three. Um, you know, if you redraft it now, he he probably goes what four or five. Yeah, it's it's tough with. Um, I, I actually I had him in my honorable mention. Um, I, I I mean I think you're right. I think you probably hit the top five pick if you redraft it now. Uh, it's just it's tough with the second rounders because it's like, you know, the Bucks could have taken him earlier in the draft. Like, yeah, right. I don't like I don't think the Bucks thought he was going to be anywhere near as good as he ended up being. And I also think like it doesn't take any kind of gumption at all to take the ACC player of the year in the sec- early in the second round. And a guy who like interviewed off the charts, like at the combine and was just I mean, there were a lot of people that were big Malcolm Brogdon fans. So taking a guy like that early second round, it's a very low risk selection at that point. Um, so I, I didn't rank it just because i didn't i didn't think that they deserved like a ton of the credit i think malcolm brogdon probably deserves most of the credit for that turning out to be a really good pick um but you know really really nice use of a second round pick nonetheless well see the bucks couldn't draft him in the first round because 26 picks earlier they took thon maker at number 10 
That draft. This is there should be a 30 for 30 on this. Like the guy who went ahead of Brogdon is Rade Zagoric. He went yeah, 35th. I mean, Never heard of him. It, everyone, I mean, it. I didn't think it was outrageous that teams were passing on Brogdon, but I did think it was like someone should have taken him before this because, yes. I mean, I, I guess people are trying to hit home runs in the first round and stuff, but it was it was hard for me to envision Malcolm Brogdon not being a rotation player. And in that draft, a rotation player should have gone in the 20s at least. Yeah, this is, I mean, I, I would not advise bringing up the basketball reference page for the 2016 draft. It's it's a an absolute bloodbath from like the 5 to 35 range, especially. So that was my number seven. Uh, we already went over. You had Luka Doncic at eight. Uh, so yep. I'll go back to my number eight then to catch up to you. And then, then we'll both be at eight. And we'll have two more. Uh, I'm very surprised that this player, considering how much I know you like him, has not popped up on your list yet. I have the number 23 overall pick in 2017, OG Ananobi. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had him in the honorable mention. Um, I guess I just sort of thought that one was, like, he sort of slid a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't really think it was that hard of a pick. Um, like, with, with Pascal Siakam, I didn't have any expectations for Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. Like I think almost everyone, if if he said he was going to, whenever he was healthy, he was going to be at least sort of 80% of the player he is right now. So I I, I guess I just didn't think they were going out on enough of a limb there um, to take, to to rank him, but I, I considered it for sure. I mean, they took him over Caleb Swanigan and Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Now this is this is kind of the same methodology as like the Heat picks, where you're you're, you're giving yeah. some developmental credit, uh, and there's a little bit of the Levert pick in this one too with the injury. That you know, I, I think if he he tore his ACL right coming into the draft. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I want to say he uh, missed part of his rookie year. Like he was expected to miss more and then came back. But yeah, I mean, chances are he probably goes a little higher. But uh, either way, he's uh he's number eight on my list. So we'll kick it back to you for your number nine best pick of the last five years. Uh, Calvin Johnson at number 29 in 2019, uh, was a, was a player that I liked, but, um, I think a lot of people thought he was more of kind of like a early to mid second rounder, um, another Kentucky guy. And I just think it was a smart move by Spurs to take him um, where they did and I mean you get a wing you get like a two-way wing in the 20s of any draft who can start on most teams I mean that's a that's a huge a huge win and um, yeah I just I thought the value there was was really solid and I don't I don't think it was the case of a player sort of falling into their laps either I think that he kind of went he kind of went towards the top end of his projected range there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was a player who, I mean, that Kentucky team, if I remember correctly, was was kind of good, not great by any means. And and you know, the bigger names on that team were PJ Washington, Tyler Hero. Um, it, it I, I think the average fan, or even even people who are into the draft, I mean, I, I didn't know a lot about Keldon Johnson until you know the weeks leading up to it. Um, and I think that's a great point that he he even though he went 29th, that was kind of on the higher end for him. And and it, you never really say that a team goes out on a limb to take someone that late in the first round. But I mean, it was, it was somewhat of a, a relative unknown, you know, to, to the regular fan to take him there. And I guess I, I didn't really consider him just because I'm not a hundred percent sure that he's going to be really good, but obviously it's been, it's been super encouraging. He was great in the bubble um, and he's been really consistent so far this year. So uh, no qualms with Keldon Johnson as your number nine. Really doesn't even own that pick anymore. Um, I, they used it in another deal. I'm not even sure what trade that was, but, uh, long story short, I think they wish they would have kept McCall Bridges. Um, I mean, Zaire Smith, I think at the time had this perceived upside. Obviously he has not turned out at all. He's played 13 career NBA games and, you know, midway through his now what third year, I, I think McCall Bridges looks like he's going to be one of the better three and D guys in the league for a long time. Yeah, for sure. I, 
I maybe I I maybe should have ranked this one. Um, I mean, you know how much I love trades are bridges. Tough. Uh, yeah, it's tough to it's tough to know whether <laughs> it's tough to know like who was actually high on him. Like, I mean, did they did the Sixers just really want Dyer Smith? Like, uh, I mean, I don't know. Did the Suns like desperately want McCall Bridges? I, I, I think it was a little of both because again, at the time that Miami pick was really highly valued. You know, we were looking at, mm-hmm. at the heat. Like, I, I don't think anybody really thought the heat would have this kind of second ascent with, you know, with Jimmy Butler. And obviously this is pre out and hero becoming as good as they did. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So who's your number 10? Uh, this was a tough one. I didn't really know how much credit to give them on this pick, but. I, I'll do Michael Porter, uh, number 14 in 2018. Um, it's tough because, like, they might have just gotten really lucky with how healthy he's been since recovering from uh, his pre-draft injury because all the teams that, you know, like John Hollinger has said this since he's come back into the public sphere, that, like, his medicals were just about as bad as, you'll see. And so they might've just taken a huge swing here and gotten lucky. Um, but at the same time, I think there's something to be said for chasing upside, especially when you're picking mid to high first round. Like the whole point is the draft is where you can get really high upside guys. Um, if you're a team like Denver, you can't go sign those guys. So uh, I think more teams should have probably looked at taking that risk and, you know, maybe teams would have taken that risk if they'd been picking at 14 instead of eight or something like that. And so it's, it's tough to give Denver a ton of credit, but at the same time, like Michael Porter is someone that they could trade for a really, really nice player in his prime right now. Uh, if they traded him, maybe even this past off season, they might've been able to get an all-star for him. So uh, getting that out of the 14 pick in the draft, no matter how they did it is still pretty solid. I'm glad you went with MPJ. I, I left him off. He was my second cut behind Bam. Um, and I, I had a lot of the same questions you did where it's, you know, how much credit do you give a team when he, he kind of slides, but at the same time, the medicals are so bad that it doesn't really feel like a true slide down the board. Um, I mean, it's, it's really, it, it's kind of, easy to forget now, like just how, how bad those medicals were. Like you said, you'll hear it from, from people who were evaluating him at the time. Like there was no question about his talent. Like teams were openly saying like, yeah, we will not be surprised if this guy turns into a perennial all-star, but the medicals are so bad that, you know, the chances of that just aren't that great. I mean, what makes this so egregious to me, and, and this is yet another one that, that should go down in the, how do you possibly make this pick? The Clippers had back-to-back picks right before number 14. And they took, you know, they took Miles Bridges and ended up getting SGA. So it kind of works out. But you can you can kind of play around. You have two picks back to back. And the other one is Jerome Robinson, who is going to be one of the all time kind of modern lottery busts. Right. Like <laughs> Jerome Robinson, I remember before that draft, like I didn't even know who Jerome Robinson was like 10 right. days before the draft. And then all of a sudden there was like some buzz, like, Oh, some teams are really on Jerome Robinson. And yeah. it's like, all right, well, like maybe he's going to be good. But um, I, th- I think it's more just a tip of the cap to the nuggets for being willing to roll that mm-hmm. dice because I mean, I, I like, like when the Sixers took Joel Embiid, like the, the teams ahead of them should have rolled that dice on him because of just how talented he was. And so, yeah, he kind of fell into their lap, and yeah, Porter kind of fell into the Nuggets' lap, but at least they were willing to pull the trigger when other teams were unwilling. All I remember about Jerome Robinson is that people were tweeting him after the draft that he looks like Brock from Pokemon. I was never a Pokemon guy. I don't know if you were, but if no. you're familiar with what that guy looks like, that's like my, my lasting memory of him. <laughs> well, he, uh, he's he got that going for him. Yeah, so I'm glad we touched on MPJ. I, I, I think... Denver certainly deserves credit. I mean, like you said, there were plenty of other teams that could have taken him. Um, I, I was at that draft in New York, and I remember when he made it past number eight, uh, the Cavs took Colin Sexton with that pick. Everybody there thought Michael Porter Jr. to the Knicks, and then they took Kevin Knox. And I, th- I think that was kind of the one where 
you're going to look back and and that's kind of one of the ultimate what ifs as as Kevin Knox continues to be glued to the bench in New York. I will finish out my list with Dejounte Murray, uh, another Spurs pick, another 29th overall pick. In fact, um, similar to the Keldon pick in some ways, although I think there was definitely more buzz around Dejounte Murray. I, I think it was kind of one of those like everybody recognizes how talented this guy is, but there are some some pretty major holes in his game that that need to be fixed. Um, and it was another one of those situations, especially at this time, you know, in 2016, where as soon as he went to the Spurs, everybody was like, oh, no, of course, this is going to work out. He's going to San Antonio. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a great pick by them. Uh, like I said earlier, I, I didn't I didn't rank DeJounte just because it was such a slide. Like it, it wasn't a Halliburton slide in the sense that like everyone was a Halliburton fan, but the people that liked DeJounte Murray really liked DeJounte Murray and thought he should have gone mid lottery. So for him to, you know, get taken at 29, you know, tip of the cap, but uh, I feel like it's a move that all the teams picking in front of them should have made as well. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, other guys that, that you considered, um, do you have anyone that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, DeMontis Sabonis, yep. number 11 in 2016. Uh, that was another trade John as Co- well. Yeah. John Collins, 19 in 2017. Um, you know, Halliburton, we've sort of said, is sort of not necessarily applicable because it was more of just other teams screwing up. But I do give the Kings a little bit of credit just because they did already have De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald. So they at least avoided passing on him because of of fit and uh, some lesser players, like not guys that would be good enough really to make this list for me, but still really nice picks. Brandon Clark at number 21 in 2019. Uh, Emmanuel quickly number 25 in this past draft. I mean, quickly, I, I just don't think he's quite good enough to make this list, but mm-hmm. in terms of just really trusting your board and ignoring outside voices, yeah. uh, like nobody even thought quickly belonged anywhere near the first round. <laughs> so, right. I mean, taking him 25 was, was impressive. And then uh, Jaden McDaniels, 28 in this past draft. Um, I don't think maybe people view this as quite, quite a steal just yet, but I think, uh, in a year or two, I think Jaden McDaniels is going to be seen as one of the four or five best players from that 2020 draft. I love it. Calling calling like a pre-steal. Yeah. Before I'm, the players pre, get. Pre-steal call that, that Jaden <laughs> McDaniels is going to go down. Okay. You covered most of mine. I had Sabonis on my list as well. He ended up being involved in the horrific, it was like Sabonis and Victor Oladipo for Serge Ibaka, basically. Uh, Serge Ibaka's little known Orlando Magic tenure. I also I, I considered putting this guy on my actual list, and and that's DeAndre Hunter who went number four in 2019. And to me there wasn't just there wasn't quite enough of a sample that we can confirm that he's made this big leap. But he looked really really good earlier this year before the knee injury. I, I think he's going to be back probably within a week or so. So we'll see where where he picks up. But I, I know that one. I wouldn't say, quite say it was a consensus, but it kind of reminds me of the Jalen Brown pick in some ways where. Hunter's name was in the mix. You know, every mock draft you read, he's somewhere from like four to seven. But there was kind of a lot of this, like, okay, he plays for Virginia. You have to, you have to kind of expound the numbers because they they play so slowly. And like, how will he translate to the NBA? And to take him over, you know, Darius Garland, who a lot of people liked, Kobe White. Um, you know, it, it's not looking like it's going to be a fantastic lottery from 2019. But to me, Hunter was not really a sure thing, and and that pick looks like it's going to work out pretty well. Yeah, if he if he'd never got hurt, he probably would have made both of our lists. Um, yep. Travis Slank probably is really wants to scream "I told you so" on Hunter because yep. he was getting he, he was getting killed for that pick uh, last season. Yep. Yeah, I I think we've covered just about everybody. I mean, you mentioned Lamelo, Mitchell Robinson, a second round pick. I mean, obviously not a lot of risk there. Um, I mean, I, I didn't really consider this guy for my list. He made my like honorable mention, honorable mention, which would be Cam Johnson, just because he's turned out way better than I thought. And he's not even that good, but I thought he was going to be terrible. And that pick at that spot at number 11, I, I just thought was like super egregious at the time. And it, it at the very least, he's going to be like a, a, a solid rotation player. 
Yeah, it's kind of a Emmanuel quickly type of pick where um like the player's not quite good enough to crack the list, but in terms yeah. of just really going against the grain and being right mm-hmm. about it, it, it mm-hmm. was impressive. Um uh Mo Bamba, number six in, <laughs> in I, I think that was that was a fantastic pick. The only another name that really comes to mind what do you think about DiVincenzo at 17 in that draft? I, I wouldn't say that was a reach, but there I, there was a lot of, okay, this guy's really only been relevant in college for one year. He was good for like half the year. He had this tournament run. There's been a lot of players who have gained stock, you know, via four great games in the tournament. And then it turns out they're not actually that good. I, I think that pick has turned out. Yeah, definitely a, a good pick. Um, I guess I'm still sort of, I'm unsure, you know, like if, if DiVincenzo had gotten drafted by like the Pistons or something like that, That's I, not fair. I, well, I just, I'd like to, I kind of want to see what DiVincenzo does in the playoffs this year and sure. next year, assuming the Bucks don't trade him, which I, I mean, is a big assumption because he's like their only thing they could trade really. But, yeah. um, you know, he's in a really nice situation to succeed and to put up, like he puts up these really, awesome advanced statistics in part because of the system and the teammates he plays with and so it's just it's i mean at 17 good pick but kind of more of like uh they got the 10th best player or ninth best player at 17 it's not like they got like the top three or four player in the draft yeah very true all right man we'll wrap it up here appreciate all the work you put into this i, I think maybe we'll have to go back and and do this again sometime for the previous five drafts or or just do the worst picks because actually yeah, let's just do that. that that'll be a lot more I, fun i love i love being negative so yeah all right well we'll pencil that in for a week or two from now <laughs> all right sounds good man talk all to you right, later I'll talk to you later brain fog insomnia moodiness weight gain maybe you think they're just part of getting older but many health understands that for women over 40 they can all connect to menopause it's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience not just hot flashes MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.